anybody can start a blog. Anybody can have a podcast. Anybody can have social media accounts. Anybody can do this stuff. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, consistency, which is something, again, that's tough for me and it's tough for everybody. We're all busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but consistency and also just, um, I, I guess the things that I think about are consistency, uh, simplicity, making sure that you have a very simple message to tell. And this is what I, why I think I resonate so much with Simon's stuff um, and why I was so drawn to him at the beginning. Um, and then just taking, uh, I think one other important element of storytelling is to take something that, like, there are no new ideas, really, if you think about it, but to take something that we sort of already know or that we hear all the time, and how do we reframe it into a way that we haven't thought of before? From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today for this episode because today uh, we're taking a little bonus detour. Uh, We're taking a detour from the podcast season to hear from a writer, a speaker, a content creator, and an igniter with Simon Sinek's organization. He's actually a co-writer with Simon. He's a, a coach, he's a speaker, and an evangelist of the Start With Why movement. Uh, after years of developing content to help Simon share his ideas, David Mead began speaking and facilitating workshops back in 2012 to help shift people's perceptions about leadership and culture. So he went from helping Simon get his content out to becoming the content himself. And today, David shares with the Storytellers Network his storytelling craft, his successes, his stumbles, and he's got a good one. Uh, his take on story and our world today. It's awesome. And I can't wait for you to listen to it. Now, real quick, just a friendly reminder, find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes, how to contact us and for other resources to help you and inspire you to tell your story better and get one of those compelling stories to change the world. And if you like what we're doing here, please consider leaving us a review. It helps us to reach more storytellers. And I'll read a review after the interview. With that said, let's get to the stories. So there you go. So thanks for joining us uh, today, uh, Mr. Mead. I do appreciate you being here, David. Um, Thanks, man. You got it. Thank you, Dan. So I like to start off uh, asking folks where they are because I like to show that you don't have to be somewhere, you know, uh, special to be a storyteller. Um, So where are you geographically? Uh, geogra- well, I don't know if it makes me not a storyteller to not to be here, but I, <laughs> I'm in, uh, I live in Salt Lake city, Utah. All right. So and I'm in my home, which is where I, uh, where I get to work when I'm not traveling. So isn't that nice to be able to work from home like that? It's great. I love it, man. Yeah. You know, I like to think, you know, if you're going to go into theater, New York city is like the ultimate, right? If you're going to do movies or TV, like it's like, it's Hollywood or maybe Georgia now. Um, but for storytellers, we can be anywhere. So being in totally. Utah, I think really proves that. That's cool. Um, so on your bio page, uh, David, you've got, 
you have your own story on Start With Why. You tell a 16-word story. I counted it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it almost feels like a haiku, but it's not. But it's definitely a story. Is that a natural thing to you? Do you consider yourself a storyteller? Um, you know, it's, it's something that I've learned to do more and more since I've been doing this work. But uh, I certainly did not uh, recognize what you read as being a 16-word almost haiku. Um, so I, I, I enjoy it. I know it's, it's something that I, I want to get better at. Um, but I think, you know, anybody is a storyteller. Um, I think some of us are more conscious of it than others, but um, I think we all do it to a, to a certain extent. Um, so if you, you kind of consider yourself one, you, you want to get better at it, obviously, is what I heard you say. Where does that start for you? You know, I can think of myself back in like fifth grade, uh, writing poetry and writing stories. So for me, I can think of that. And then professionally, it's, you know, I'm always growing. But did that start young for you or, or did you kind of decide that later on? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, uh, I, I just a couple of weeks ago, I dug out some old journals mm -hmm. from when I was a kid. Like my mom started me writing a journal when I was like eight years old, right? Um, and last night, I, so I've been pulling these out and I read them to my eight-year-old son because uh, we have story time every night and we used to read books and whatever. And we kind of, we, you know, got done with the last book we were reading. And I was like, oh, I would need to get to the library. But for now, like, why don't we just look through some of my old journals and some old pictures from when dad was a kid and all this stuff. And last night, um, actually read through this, this story that I wrote that was sort of a, a rewrite of the, the Rapunzel story. And it was, so yeah, it started, I mean, for me and it, you know, it's, uh, I, that's the, that's the, the first one that I found that was sort of recorded, but it was pretty young. Like I was about 10 years old when I wrote that. That's cool. Uh, and, and you rewrote Rapunzel. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was short, you know, it was like three or four paragraphs, <clears throat> but it was a, it was sort of a, a different take on it. Um, do you find the, so I guess I don't want to answer the question by asking it the, the wrong way. So let me ask this. What is it that you love about story? Even when it's just connecting like with your son, what is it that you love about story? The, the thing that I love most about stories is it gets us to feel something. And that's really where uh, connection is made. That's where trust is built. That's where relationships are. are I think the foundation of relationships is just um, through connecting. And so when we can feel something, when we can emote by telling the story or by hearing the story, I think that's really what, um, what's so important to me is it brings people together and it just, it makes things more real. So is that how you use story in, in your life now as a coach and a speaker is, is to connect? Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, all the, the concepts that we talk about are pretty simple and they're, they're easy to understand, but for people who uh, are, you know, are new to these ideas of, you know, purpose and meaning at work and, you know, creating an environment of, of trust and cooperation, these are the sort of the basic tenets of the things that we talk about for people who are, are not in that kind of a work environment or have not had a job where they have found meaning and purpose and like they, they, conceptually understand the idea of it. But when we can tell a story of an organization that has done this or a person who has found meaning or fulfillment in their work, whether that be my own story or somebody else's, um, it's, it, it helps people to relate. And they're like, oh yeah, like that makes more sense to me than just if you were to give me a, a list of facts and figures or some scientific data of how our brain works. All that stuff's interesting, but when we can back it up with story and experience, that's I think really where the connection is made. So you're kind of changing perceptions and changing lives is what I hear you say. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what story changed your life then? Um, man, there's probably been a, a smattering of a whole bunch of stories. Um, I think, you know, if I think back to it, it's really my own story that 
sort of changed my life. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I was in uh, job after job after job where I just did not feel like I had great leadership. I didn't feel like I had anybody there that really had, I mean, it's not that I didn't like the people that I worked with, but it was just, it was a job. Like we all just showed up to work at the same place every day. It wasn't uh, anything more than that. Uh, and then, you know, my meeting Simon Sinek in 2009 uh, is a huge turning point in that story where all of a sudden I realized that there, there, there was a, a different way. Um, and it's, it's something that I always sort of knew that I wanted. I had just never found it. And so um, I was able to, you know, to start now that I was conscious of it, I was able to start um, applying it in a little organization where I was working and then eventually, you know, moving over with Simon. And now this is my life's work to help other, you know, organizations create these environments where people show up uh, because they want to, not because they have to. And so um, I don't know if it's egotistical to say, but my own story has really changed my life, you know? And I don't think it's egotistical. I mean, I think, first of all, I think ego plays an important part in what we do. I mean, um, but you know, sharing our story, I don't, th- I don't think is, is wrong at all. Um, especially when you see the, the changes in it like that, you know, going from just, just a job, as you said, um, with air quotes there, uh, to, mm-hmm. to your life's work. I like how you said, this is my life's work. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's awesome, David. How, how do you think, how, how do you think about story then when you're giving a presentation, you know, like you said earlier, you know, I don't want to just facts and figures and, and brain science. That's helpful. But mm-hmm. what kind of preparation do you go into when you're thinking about those stories? Do you gather a bunch? Do you just write it out? Do you practice it? What kind of prep work do you go into? Um, it's a little bit of all of that. I mean, I think, you know, the, just with my, my personality type and the, the type of person that I am, I'm very organized. And so I go in with, you know, a plan. And so I've, you know, I've done some research. I've looked at some stories ahead of time. But the cool thing about doing the work that I do is, like almost everywhere that I go, there is a story that pops out uh, you know, of an experience or a workshop or, you know, an interaction that I have with somebody after a talk or, you know, a comment that somebody makes or just all of these things that, you know, some of them are short, some of them are a little bit longer, but there's always something that sort of adds to my bank of stories that I can always draw from. And so, um, you know, while I do have a few uh, go-tos that I, that I use, you know, in talks and workshops and that kind of stuff, um, it's, it's always interesting to see, uh, sort of what pops up and what just kind of flies into my mind, you know, in the moment, because after seven or eight years of doing this, it's just kind of what happens. So you, you talked to, you, you mentioned a bank of stories. How, how do you make that deposit? We'll, we'll keep with that, that metaphor. How do you make that deposit regularly and remember what's in there? You know, how do those things come to mind? Do you have any particular tricks to help people kind of remember those stories that you hear all the time? Yeah. So I, uh, I, and this is something that I try not to tell myself and I'm trying to figure out a different way to say it, but my, my memory is not great. So, um, you know, some people just have the ability to just produce these stories for any situation or any example they can, you know, naturally pop out with a story. I have a really hard time doing that. <laughs> so, um, a couple of things that I do, I have, a like in the, in the journaling app that I use, I have a specific, you know, folder that is just for stories and experiences or anecdotes or things that I can pull in. And so I review that from time to time. We have uh, on our team, I'm one of a few igniters, which are the guys that go out and do guys and gals who go out and do the speaking and workshops and that kind of stuff. So, you know, every once in a while we'll get on uh, a zoom call or we'll voxer with each other and say, Hey, you know, um, if we had an experience or we have a story or something that we want to share with others, uh, we do it that way too. So we kind of, um, pow out a little bit that way. 
comes from, I'm not a huge reader either, just because I, I don't make the time for it. Um, but whenever I read a book that has a good story in it, I just, I, a lot of times will just encapsulate that story and tell it, um, if it, you know, where it applies. And so it's just a different, um, sort of different ways of making deposits into that bank account. I usually just have to keep the, uh, keep the ledger in front of me so I can see what those are. Cause I have a hard time remembering all. Uh, amen to that. Uh, so journaling is a big one for you. You mentioned a journaling app. Do you mm-hmm. think, do you think there's a difference between writing actually like writing with a pen or a pencil versus typing? Do you find anything either, either one works better for you? Um, for me, I'm like a zero paper guy. Just, that's just what works for me. Um, I, and of course I know that there's, there are, you know, studies and the, the, uh, the ideas out there that if you actually physically write something down, it sticks with you better, which may be the case. The problem is, uh, if I were to do that, I would just never look at the notebook again. So <laughs> it would be a little counterproductive for me. I hear that. Um, so you talked earlier about, uh, connecting with your son and connecting with audiences as well. So storytelling connecting is what you, what you love about it. But is there something that you, David, love particularly about telling stories? Is there something that you get out of that besides the connecting? Um, I think the connecting is the biggest piece, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think what happens for me is because I, I tell, you know, like I said, I, I have sort of the standard go-tos that I, that I have that are part of my talks or my workshops. And because I tell them so much, sometimes I get tired of telling them. Mm. And so uh, it forces me to look for new examples and new stories because otherwise I don't want it to come across because I I believe and I love so much what I do. I never want it to come across like I'm tired of it or like I've said it 500 times, right? Mm. So um, the thing that I love about telling these stories over and over and over again is that it pushes me to keep looking for new stories because when that one feels like it's getting tired for me, like I got to have something else to go to. So it's, and it all, it's so I, in sort of a, a, a meta sort of way, it helps me to deepen my learning and my understanding of the content that I'm talking about. Because uh, when I can draw from a new story and bring that in, then there are nuances and little pieces of that story that might deepen my understanding of the content that that story is relating to, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. in a way, it helps me to you know understand what I'm talking about better and therefore hopefully be able to relay more depth and more value or more understanding to those that I'm working with. Yeah. So that familiarity can be uh, something that pushes you, but also something that keeps you on your, on your guard and you don't want to get over familiar with your stories. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, do you think that's one of the biggest challenges with storytelling too? Is that familiarity or is something like what's, what's one of your biggest challenges when it comes to storytelling? Um, my biggest challenge with storytelling is I am a very sort of concise and to the point person. So when I, and my, it drives my wife crazy. Like, you know, when, if, if I'm, if I go, you know, have lunch with somebody or, you know, whatever, and I come back and she wants to know how it went, I will literally give her like the two sentence answer, right? <laughs> like all the details, like, yeah, he's fine. He's doing great. Kids are good. We had a nice, had a nice lunch. Right. <laughs> and she's like, dude, like details, like tell me what you talked about. Like, what is he feeling? How's his wife? What are they eating? And all the stuff she wants to know all these things. So my biggest challenge is sort of, uh, allowing the time to sort of stretch out the story, give the details, paint the picture, help people feel like they're there. Really, again, it goes back to that connecting piece. Um, and I feel like I just sort of want to get on to the next thing. And so my challenge is like, how do I make it really meaningful and tell a story, not just to tell a story because it's a buzzword and everybody, you know, is talking about storytelling, but how do I use it to actually help them, um, 
you know, connect or really understand the message that I'm trying to convey through that story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned uh, telling stories, being verbal, talking to your wife. Kind of makes you want to just tell her, well, they come, come to lunch with me next time. You can hear it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can experience it. Um, but you, you, so I hear you say that you, you talk quite a bit. You obviously are a speaker and a coach, this kind of thing. You're, um, I mentioned in my intro that you are a content creator, so that encapsulates a lot of things. Obviously, a co-writer with Simon. Um, do you have a favorite platform, a favorite way to tell stories? Does, does, do any of those kind of make you go, oh, I can't wait to get out of bed and go do this? Um, I, well, I think the, the place that it comes out most naturally is in speaking hmm. um, and the content creation. So that happens. Those are sort of um, separate but simultaneous. So um, like, for example, I just uh, wrote a new talk, which I gave for the first time this last week. And so I had the, the opportunity to incorporate some new stories again to help with the learning of that content. Um, also on the writing front so that, you know, another platform is, um, you know, every month I write a, an article that gets posted on LinkedIn, uh, around a certain topic that we're focusing on for the month here at start with why. And so again, another opportunity to, to share a story. And the thing that I, that I love about it is because it's, um, it's something that doesn't necessarily come naturally for me. Um, but I love that I'm getting the opportunity to, to sort of be pushed, um, to not to have to do it cause I want to do it and I want to do it better. Yeah but to be able to have some of those platforms to, to, to sort of push myself out of my comfort zone and to work on, you know, not just coming up with a, a short example, but how do I, you know, use that story and really uh, to really bring people in and help them to, to, to connect again with the content. Yeah. Um, so I love the idea of helping people find their why. And I, and I was thinking of a way to incorporate that into this, into this conversation because I, I've read a couple of Simon's books. I've seen him speak. Um, I watched some of your videos and, and I've, so I've seen you speak now. Um, and I love the message. I love the, the mission behind it all. And I was thinking, man, how do we inspire listeners to find their why? You know, I, I can just, I can picture somebody sitting in their car, um, listening to the, you know, the storytellers network thinking, well, I'm kind of doing that a little bit, but you know, I, I really want to do something different. How, so, so let me give you a chance to kind of talk a little bit about start with why and what that means to you and, and, and how you would, might inspire somebody with that. So I'm just going to kind of open it up to you um, <clears throat> with the idea that somebody might be sitting there thinking, I want to do that, but I don't know where to start. Um, mm-hmm. So to tell a little bit of a story about maybe either a success or somebody else, but just kind of let yourself think about a story on, on what that means to you and the world around you, starting with why. Sure. So, you know, if you think about it, your why is really the ultimate story. Like it is the story of you. So for, for those who, who may not be familiar uh, with the idea, basically um, Simon Sinek codified this idea of, of purpose, which has been around for thousands of years, obviously. But he codified it into a simple model called the golden circle, which is basically a bullseye with three words, why in the center where the bullseye is, and then how in the middle ring, and then what on the outer ring. The idea or the premise is that every organization and even our own careers or whatever it is that keeps us busy throughout the day revolves around these three things, what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. And everybody knows what they do. Some people know how they do what they do, but very few people actually know why. Um, And why is not to, you know, make more money or climb the corporate ladder or, you know, be able to travel the world when we retire, like those are all results by why we mean it's, it's a noun. It's not a question, right? It's it, your why is your purpose. It's your just cause. It's your belief. It's the, the thing that inspires you to get out of bed every day. It's really the, the contribution that you make and the impact that you have on the lives of the people around you. Right. And so a lot of us get up 
uh, every day. We go to work. We might like our jobs. We might love our jobs. We might hate our jobs. You know, we might go to school. We, you know, if we're a stay-at-home parent, whatever it is, like we know what we do. And sometimes we get stuck in the rut of what that is. And so, you know, passion goes down, stress goes up, and we start doing those things because we have to, not because we want to. Mm -hmm. And what the why can really do is just to lend a new perspective or sort of a shift our perception and give some context and meaning to what we do. It's not that necessarily our our job or what we do every day or the, you know, the, the major that we're in or whatever it is that we're doing has to change. But when we clearly understand the purpose behind it or the bigger picture around it, that's what gives it really meaning and fulfillment. And it's not that we're never not going to have bad days, not that we're going to, you know, never have challenges. It's that when we do, we have that broader context. So um, that's kind of what the idea is. And it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, a couple of stories that pop into my mind are of um, individuals who have come up to me, you know, after a, a wide discovery workshop. And we do a lot of these within organizations where um, individual employees are, essentially given the opportunity to find their purpose and to articulate why they do what they do and to, you know, find out really what inspires them. And I remember um, I did a, a workshop in Australia for a group uh, and I got a message on LinkedIn from somebody who, one of the organizers who was in that uh, workshop and she listed off, you know, the names of about six or seven different people who were in that workshop that came to her and told her what a difference that had made in their life. Like, mm-hmm. You know, one guy, um, he said, my why really helped my, my wife's battling cancer and my why just gave me a whole new perspective on that. Um, this other person was uh, promoted because they, you know, they, they went into an interview starting with why. Like all of these things, the coolest, uh, one of the other, other really cool um, ones, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a firefighter write in and he said, you know, read your book, uh, discovered my why, and I totally rewrote my resume based on some of your principles. Uh, and he was going up, he was going for a promotion in the fire department. I can't remember what, um, what the exact position was, but it was a, you know, a decently high, uh, position within his fire department. He said, I got the job. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to let you know how grateful I am for, you know, this new perspective that I have. And so it's, again, just, it's this, the story of who we are at our natural best. And when we can show up in situations and make that contribution, or have that impact that we naturally have when we're at our best, um, we're just, we're more likely to um, inspire those around us. We're more likely to have passion and excitement for the work that we're doing, which naturally ends up in greater results, you know, more money if that's what we're looking for, better position at work, um, you know, leadership opportunities, whatever it is that we're looking for. But that can only come when we show up at our natural best. And that's really what the why helps us to do. So I I heard you say something in there that I I always think about this when, when we're talking about why, and we we had this experience at my last company that I was at, um, a mortgage company, and we have this thing in, in Kalamazoo, Michigan called Catalyst University. And um, and, and we talk about uh, Simon's talk. And the, of course, the, that TEDx talk is the, the golden circle. That's been the, like the biggest thing for him, I think, that started a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And, and we all watched it. Um, we read the book. And we started this, this group within our company because so many of us thought after Catalyst University, after seeing Simon's talk and, and learning about the why, like we all kind of went, why are we working for a mortgage company? Can't we do something different? <laughs> we, we need to all quit and go like volunteer in, you know, uh, the Peace Corps or something like this greater calling. And then we all went, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't quit right. our jobs. You know, <laughs> let's figure out our why here with what we do. Um, so what I heard you say, David, is that you don't have to quit your job and turn your life upside down 
you can find your why, find your purpose, find that, that best you and apply that where you are. Is this, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean the, you know, one of the, the greatest stories that, um, exemplifies that I think, because what you're, what you, th- what you initially thought is what so many people think. And this is, this is the reason that most organizations did not want us to come in and do this work with them at first, because they thought, well, if my people find their why, they're all going to quit. Right. Cause we're, you know, like, uh, I don't know, some unglamorous like manufacturing company. Nobody's going to want to do that. If they know their purpose, they're going to want to go, you know, do charity work for the rest of their life. And that's not it at all. Right. So there's the, the famous story of the, you know, when NASA I think was first formed and I think it was, um, I don't think it was JFK. It was, uh, uh who was, who was his vice president? Um, uh, Johnson. Lyndon Johnson. Yes, I think it was Lyndon Johnson. So he went down to NASA to, you know, meet some of the engineers and scientists and folks down there. And as the story goes, there was just a line lineup of people, you know, these rocket scientists and, you know, really kind of people that were high up doing a lot of important work at NASA. And he was going down the line sort of handshaking with everybody and, you know, figuring out what do they do and what's, what's their role and all this stuff. And he came to the end of the line and there was this guy in this NASA jacket and, you know, uh, I think again, President Johnson, I'm not sure, but he said, um, you know, and, and what do you do here? And he said, I, I'm the janitor and I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And he's hmm. like, what? He's like, well, if I don't keep this place clean, then the scientists can't do their work. And if they can't do their work, then we, you know, on up and up and up and up and up. Hmm. And basically we can't put a man on the moon if, you know, I'm not doing my job. And so no matter where we are, no matter what our role is, we can still show up and live our why, which is all about how we interact with human beings. It's the service that we give. It's the difference that we make in the lives of people. And we can do that no matter what job we're in, no matter what industry we're in, no matter what position in the company that we hold. I love that idea. And then I, and I've said it much less, uh, much less intelligently. <laughs> like when I'm talking about the work that we do at the company that, that I work at at interview valet and the, and the, the, the podcast, the storytellers network and, the volunteer work that I've done, I think, man, I'm making such a difference. And I love that. I love changing the world around me, but you can, I said it this way, you can be, you can be folding tacos at Taco Bell and still work with a passion and a purpose that you know that you're giving someone else that, that, that fuel for food to change the world. And you can still be happy with where you are. Um, totally. Yeah. I just love that idea. So, so thank mm-hmm. you for the work you're doing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, don't mean to fanboy, but that's awesome stuff. Um, <laughs> so David, what do you, th- if you think about storytelling and, and all these different, you know, I, I see about platforms and, and about speaking and stages, this kind of thing, but we also have this digital stage, obviously today, social media. Um, mm-hmm. And you hear some people kind of just, you know, all social media is the bane of our existence. You know, uh, Twitter made us all dumber because of fewer characters. Facebook is ruining it with, you know, fake news or, or scams or whatever and blah, blah, blah. So, so there are, it's, it's pros and cons. I know that, but how do you think that story, uh, storytelling has been affected by social media? Do you notice it for you or the craft in general? Has it affected it over the year, over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think the, you know, the thing that strikes me the most is, um, it's what social media I think has done is just give us a different set of, um, outlets for our stories. Right. Um, I think, I mean, one of the things I love most about Instagram is you tell a story through a picture, right? You might give a comment or two, but like if you're really thoughtful about the the photos that you post, like, I mean, it goes, I mean, we all know that the silly saying a picture is worth a thousand words, right? 
So um, it's given us an opportunity to do that. I think, you know, there are pros and cons to everything, but I think the pros to Twitter are it's made us more thoughtful about what are we actually saying and is every word, what's the importance of every word or every character we put in there. So I think they're, they're you know, you can look at everything both ways, but I think um, either, I mean, and storytelling is like the oldest tradition that we have. I mean, it's how we have passed along our culture and our beliefs and those kind of things through time. I, it's never going to go away. And the way that we do it is just morphing and changing a little bit. But I think um, the, the biggest thing for me is what, what are the important lessons? What is the, um, what is the core message that we're passing along, whether that be through, you know, a short Twitter post or through a LinkedIn article or through a photo on Instagram, it doesn't really matter what it is, but what are we trying to teach? What are we trying to pass along? What are we trying to impart? What are we trying to give? I think if we can go into it with a, um, an attitude of, of giving something, sharing something rather than doing it just to, to have ourselves be heard or to just give our opinion about something. Cause I think on the other end of the spectrum, one thing that social media allows people to do is just to say whatever they want without consequence. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we have to be really intentional and really, um, really giving, uh, in our, in our expression of stories in those different medium uh, media and just think to ourselves, what am I trying to share? What do I want to give to the people around me sourced from my own? Why, what, right? Whatever I'm trying to inspire other people with, how can I do that through the stories that I tell and the different ways that I tell them? I heard you say give a number of times in that. Um, have you always been a giver? Um, yes. Uh, I've been more conscious of it. I would say the last few years, mm. obviously not perfect at it. Right. We all have mm. our, our selfish side. We all screw up sometimes, but um, yeah, I, I, that's just, I mean, and it's interesting because every day before, every time before I go on stage, I will literally remind myself, show up to give, like, I'm not here to, you know, wow the audience. So hopefully they'll hire me again. I'm not here to, you know, hopefully make some connection or get some referral for another piece of like, I don't care about any of that stuff. As soon as I step on that stage, it's like what of myself, of my experience, of my knowledge of the things that I'm learning, can I share and give to those around me? So, yeah. Do you think being a dad has affected that in some way? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's funny because we talk a lot about leadership and, um, you know, Simon makes a correlation between leadership and parenting, which I think is just fantastic. Um, and I, you know, I can speak to that from personal experience that, uh, and it's, it's ridiculous. Like it's silly how it's almost, it's just, it's instinctive. Um, and maybe it's supposed to be, but like, it doesn't matter how hungry I am. I will always might make my kids play the food first right? I'll make sure they're eating first. I'll make sure they're comfortable. They're warm. They're cool. Whatever they need. Like I'll make sure they have that first at my own personal sacrifice just because that's what parents do. And so it's, it consistently reinforces that, uh, that giving mindset for sure. What else has, has those eight year old eyes or before that, obviously, you know, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Um, what are those little eyes taught you about your professional world and, and storytelling and everything? How, how has that rocked your world? <laughs> um, the thing, I mean, my, so my, my son is eight, and my daughter just turned two. So um, I've had a little bit more time to learn from my son, but I think the, um, the thing that I, and, and it's, you know, personal and professional is very blurred for me. It's just, it's life. Uh, and you know, some of that time I spend at home and some of that time I spend at work. Um, 
but what I've learned from him is he has this incredible ability to, to forgive me very quickly when I'm a jerk, uh, which happens from time to time. Right. Um, and he's very, and so the way that I sort of translate that into how I'm, I'm doing it is, um, he's very, just, he's very generous in his thoughts. Um, and just because I've done something to upset him or hurt him or, you know, annoy him, whatever it is, like he's, uh, he's very quick to replace that with all of the good things that I do and to get back to that place. And so one of the things that I've, um, sort of, and it's, it's forming my own story at work now, which is, you know, when I think something of a colleague or of a client or somebody in my audience who's not, you know, engaged or whatever it is, it's, you know, how do I essentially forgive them? How do I be generous to them? How do I kind of meet them where they are, which is one of my values of like, instead of being all high and mighty and you're not paying attention or you're not engaged, or you're doing this thing that I don't like. It's like, what, what's going on with you? Are you okay? Like how, how can I get to the same level as you so that we can understand each other and maybe I can give you what you need rather than what I think you need. Extending grace, right? Abounding mm-hmm. grace. Exactly. Yep. I have, yep. I have two daughters, 12 and 13. And so same thing, man. It's, an, mm-hmm. it's incredible. Their capacity to just look past it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Such a great lesson. I love that. Um, all right. So let's get back to, to storytelling. Um, how do you think in today's noisy world, you know, I mean, social media, we just talked about a minute ago, has great reach and has a great opportunity. So that's one way. But how do you think a storyteller can get their word out today? You know, you, you've been fortunate, obviously, that to be able to speak around the world and to use your platform. Um, you mentioned LinkedIn earlier for writing for LinkedIn once a month. So you get your story out there, but it's still a battle, I would imagine. How, mm-hmm. how are we supposed to do it nowadays? Wow. Um, I think the, well, I think the beauty of technology is that like anybody can do it, hmm. right? It's kind of like, uh, it, it, I, so the way that I sort of think I sort of compare it to is it used to be like, if you didn't have a job, like it was hard, you had to go out and like apply for a job. You had to look at different companies, you have to do all this stuff. And now you just like get in your car and you drive Lyft or Uber, hmm. like instantly you have a job. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't even necessarily, I mean, anybody can do it. Right. And so it's the same thing sort of with storytelling. Like anybody can start a blog. Anybody can have a podcast. Anybody can have social media accounts. Anybody can do this stuff. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, consistency, which is something, again, that's tough for me and it's tough for everybody. We're all busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but consistency and also just, um, I guess the things that I think about are consistency, uh, simplicity, making sure that you have a very simple message to tell. And this is what I, why I think I resonate so much with Simon's stuff um, and why I was so drawn to him at the beginning. Um, and then just taking, uh, I think one other important element of storytelling is to take something that, like there are no new ideas really, if you think about it, but to take something that we sort of already know or that we hear all the time and how do we reframe it into a way that we haven't thought of before? I think those, those things, I think anybody can do. And if you can just lend a different perspective or a different uh, way of thinking to something that, uh, you know, you're not going to, and not everybody's going to uh, gravitate to that. Not everybody, not everybody's going to be interested in your thought process, which is okay. Again, the point is not to, you know, uh, reach everybody who we think needs what we have. The goal is to reach people who believe what we believe and who share, you know, um, the, the, the interests and the things that we have to share. So, 
I think those three things um, and just picking, you know, one or two platforms that work. That's one thing with me with social media too. Like I don't use Facebook. I haven't probably for seven years just cause I just, I couldn't keep up with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be, uh, I have to be for myself very deliberate about what social media I use. So I don't use a ton. I use like Instagram and Twitter and that's about it. Um, and I could be more consistent of both. Right. Mm-hmm. But pick one or two things and really just focus on those and tell the story in a simple way that, um, you know, relates to other people and it gives a, a bit of a reframe of something that we already know. Yeah. And I heard you saying there, you know, focus and consistency and being better at it, being purposeful, I would say. Uh-huh. Is there is there an element of um, being real and transparent and not always, you know, I'm thinking of like writers or personal brand type folks, right? Well, I have to be very purposeful. I can't, I can't let down my guard. Um, it, there's got to be a, a, an element of transparency too, don't you think? Absolutely. If you ever uh, hope to build any kind of trust or relationship with people, you gotta, like, you gotta be you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think this is, again, one of the things that I really appreciate about, re- appreciate about the team that I work on and the, the things that I like to read the most are from people who are willing to admit their own mistakes, who are willing to, you know, tell me where they screwed up and where they learned something. Like we all know nobody's perfect. Right. I mean, it's like, you, you know, you hire somebody to come over to do some electrical work at your house and they say, and you go, Oh, you know, I actually also have a bit of a plumbing issue. I got some drywall stuff. I got crown molding. I need to do all this. Oh yeah. You know what? I I'm, I'm awesome at all of that. I can do all of that stuff. Just let me do it all. How much do we trust that guy versus the guy that comes in and says, you know what? I rock at electrical. Um, I've done some plumbing. Um, do not hire me for your drywall. I will t- completely screw it up we trust that person so much more. Um, so rather than putting up this front that people know is not true and being, you know, lying, faking and hiding behind who we think we need to be for everybody. I think there's great value in, in letting people in a little bit. So on that note of transparency and failures, um, you got to know this one's coming. Uh, what's one of <laughs> your, what's one of your biggest moments of, Oh, just face palm. I can't believe that happened that you were fortunate enough to learn from. What's one of your kind of biggest Oh crap moments. Um, about, uh, about a year and a half ago, I had been in this role speaking workshops, that kind of stuff for, uh, about five or six years. Right. And I had, you know, I've learned a lot from the very beginning and I, but I got to the point where I sort of plateaued and I let myself get into this mindset of like, I made it right. Like I'm comfortable. I can do all the content with my eyes closed. Like I'm, you know, got a nice house. I'm making good money. Like I, I made it. And at that point I stopped growing. And at that point I stopped being of any value to anybody else on our team. Uh, and I was just sort of starting to suck energy from people rather than giving it. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I got called out on it and they were like, you, you're, you're being lazy and you're basically just, you, you're on vacation and you need to step it up cause you've got a lot more to give. And I, I, I knew it, but I just let myself get into that comfort zone. And I was like, I'm good, but I wasn't. And I, I was feeling it myself. Right. Um, and so I did, you know, did the hard work, still doing the hard work of continuing to, you know, show up every day. Um, but I, you know, that's, that's the first one that pops to mind, but I've got all kinds of little stuff. And I mean, if you want to talk <laughs> personal relationships, you know, with family and whatever, like I'm full of those things, I screw up every day. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Be, be yeah. the, the, the people business is messy. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. Well, well, how fortunate for you, David, that you have that team around you that's willing to call you out. Um, to you have that trust with them that they can do mm-hmm. that and say, "Man, look," and, and then and that, and that they they care about you enough. They dare I say, love you enough to say, "Man, you've got more to give." Mm-hmm. Like that was such a great. You've got more to give, more to grow. That's what I heard from that. That's awesome. Man. Yeah, and I think that's where, it, and it's all we know. That's always where it comes from, is from a place of love, because we have again going to the bank account. We're always making deposits in that bank account, so that when we need to make that withdrawal, and we need to say, "Dude, we need to have a hard conversation." Like the balance is still to the point where even if you're going to withdraw a couple hundred bucks, like we're still good. Like I still know that that love is there, that trust is there, and you're just doing it because you want to help me get better. Um, and, how, and I think, yeah, I, I just, I'm so, I, I take it for granted, but I'm so lucky to be on a team like that. And how, how did you find yourself in the middle of that? Did you purposefully surround yourself with people that you knew could do that? Does it just kind of work out as you find your why? I mean, how does, if I'm sitting here all kind of alone as a storyteller mm-hmm. or as just anybody listening in general, like, how do you build that around you? Well, I think the, the first thing that, that sort of discovering and articulating your why or your purpose will do for you is to help you recognize um, what you value most, mm. the characteristics, the attributes, the behaviors, and those kind of things that make you who you are at your best. Uh, and you'll want to surround yourself with other people who share those same values. So even if you don't go through, through the effort of articulating it, you know when you're around certain people, you know whether they are feeding you or sucking the life out of you, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you feel like they're energizing you, they're inspiring you, like those are more of the type of people you need to be around. If you have people in your life who just like you get done talking to them and you just need to go take a nap, like those are probably the people who maybe you need to figure out a way to spend less time with. And that sometimes is really hard because sometimes those are, you know, air quotes, best friends. Those are colleagues. Those are family members. Those are, and it's tough. I like, I don't have the answers of exactly how to do that best. Everybody's situation is a little bit different, but Mm -hmm. um, rather than trying to, you know, to keep, so we just get an awareness of who we need to be around and maybe we focus a little bit more of our time and attention around those people who inspire us and who we have sort of that, uh, that two way inspiring relationship with. And that's the first thing then we can start making decisions when we know our values and we know what's important to us. We can choose to do things throughout the day or not that will, again, feed that, uh, that inspiration within us and help us to show up and be better. So um, I've forgotten your original question. How did you surround yourself with such great people? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, right? So, yeah, so, so we can be intentional about it and, um, you know, sort of pick and choose based on who we know who we are and what we need to be at our best. So that's one way to do it. Um, the way that I sort of, I don't want to say fell into it, but the, um, and if we're part of an organization, uh, like I am where we are intentionally hiring people who share common values and beliefs, that's less in our control, obviously, but, um, that's, that's where I find myself is the only people that make it onto the start with white team are people who share our values and beliefs. That doesn't mean that we're not different people. We are wildly different people, you know, in uh, political views and religious backgrounds and, you know, all kinds of experiences and thought process and all these things. Um, we don't all have to be the same there, but it's, we're very, very careful as to who we let into our, our tribe essentially. And so a couple of ways we can do that. 
but again, control what you can control. If you don't have control over who gets hired into your organization or who you surround yourself with at work, you absolutely do have control over who you surround yourself with otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I, and I kind of heard a kernel in there too, from you, I want to pull out is, is pour into others too, right? You don't want to surround yourself with a bunch of um, vampires, but you don't want to be one as well. So that self-awareness sure. of pouring into others, right? Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's, Sort of um, Simon gave me a, a sort of a reframe on what a mentor mentee relationship might be like. And a lot of times we, you know, we think of it in that way of, you know, what can I give this person? But if I'm constantly giving, then I'm going to run out. Right. Uh, but if, you know, I'm getting something from that person and I'm not giving anything, then they don't get any benefit out of it either. So rather than having mentor mentee, his idea is mentor mentor, right? We can all learn something from each other. And so figuring out, you know, it's not, you know, it doesn't matter how much experience I have, doesn't matter what I've done, doesn't matter what you've done, we, there, we can learn something from everyone. And so not going into it thinking I'm the mentor, but I'm also the one who's being mentored by somebody else. Um, and I think, you know, just understanding that we have that uh, sort of symbiotic relationship with other people is, is some, another thing that we can do to inspire ourselves and inspire those around us. It's funny because as someone who looks for mentors, that really hit me hard that um, and I thought of this, I had a conversation with my friend, Tom, who owns uh, interview valet. <clears throat> and it was actually during an interview for storytellers network. And I, I, I called him a mentor and he said, I'm uncomfortable with that term because you yeah. mentor me as much as you think I mentor you. And mm-hmm. I thought, man, so that's, yeah, you just hit me with that, David. That's good. It, it's kind of pouring into others to just mm-hmm. make, I mean, just like as, as, as kumbaya or as goofy as it sounds is to make the world <laughs> a better place. Right. Right. I love that. Um, yeah. I also love, I love what you said about uh, making it. You felt like you made it and you just kind of sat back, kicked back and said, yeah, the heck with it. I'm good. Um, mm-hmm. Cause one of the questions I like to ask people is when did you kind of feel like you made it? What was a, what was a milestone, but, but making it sound so negative in that connotation, mm. what do you think a positive outlook to making it might look like for you instead moving forward? Um, I think the, I mean, there's always something like there's always a sort of a, a micro piece that I'm working on in the macro, right? So this, I, I mean, I, for the rest of my life, I will never think I've made it. Mm-hmm. There's always more to learn. There's always more to share, always more room to grow. But the thing that I'm working on this week, for example, that I, by the way, have been working on for the last four years, uh, still not there yet. Right. But when I, when I master that, I'll be like, sweet, I made it. And it's like, it's sort of like going to the gym, right? Like you go to the gym and you get in shape. You don't, you're not done. You have to keep going to the gym to stay in shape. And so it's once I've sort of made it quote unquote with this thing that I'm working on or this, you know, goal that I have or this objective that I've been working toward, it becomes easier to do it. Cause I'm not, you know, I've, I've sort of mastered it if you will, but I have to keep doing it. And so it's just that awareness of uh, when I've made it in, in terms of those small things in service of the lifelong, you know, learning and lifelong journey that I'm on. Lifelong learning. That's good. No, nope. don't stop learning. Um, and I could, I could sit here for hours and talk with you, David. I, I won't do that to you though, <laughs> or, or the <laughs> listeners. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. I want to, I want to get to my, my big question. This is, this is my favorite thing to ask. And I, and I, and I don't know what my answer would be. So I hope you have one. Good luck. Um, <laughs> If you, if you were told all of a sudden you can only tell one last story and you're done being a storyteller, what would that story be for you? Um, 
struggle with this question too. Um, it's so final. I think the, um, the, I think the story that I would end with would be the story of the last thing that really was an aha for me, whatever that is. Cause if it's something that hit me that hard that it, you know, really made a difference to me, I know it could be powerful and, 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 and helpful to somebody else. Your, your most recent aha. Uh-huh. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good, David. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for your time today. Um, thanks for sharing with the storytellers network listeners a little bit about your story and how, how it affects what you do with start with why I think it's amazing. Um, and just for being here, man, I, I really appreciate it. You got it. Well, thank you, Dan. What's, um, where can people find you? What's the easiest way to connect with, uh, Mr. David Mead? So easiest place is probably start with why.com. Uh, why is spelled out W H Y. Uh, I'm also on, uh, Instagram at igniter DM, uh, igniter DM and on Twitter at DJ Mead. We'll put those in the show notes so people can connect with you and, uh, yeah, man. Hey, just one last time, man. Thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you, Dan. Thank you to our guest, David Mead from Start With Why. Be sure to visit him online. You can find those links down in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it all over the place. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, email it, text it, wherever you can send it to somebody and bless them with a story. Uh, I do appreciate it. Uh, In fact, let's also talk about how else to bless people, right? leaving us a review. Thank you so much for the reviews that we have there on the Storytellers Network. And here's one from uh, the host of Legends and Losers podcast, marketing legend himself, Christopher Lockhead. He says, compelling stories can change the world. And this insightful podcast, Dan and his guests unpack the elements of a great story while telling great stories. Thank you, Dan. And that's on all caps. So man, that's my hope. Compelling guests, stories and inspiration. Maybe we're changing worlds after all. Thank you, Christopher. And if we've changed your world in some way, please let me know. You can leave a review sharing how that's happened for you or send me a note through the website. I do appreciate it. And I look forward to reading those stories. So, uh, and thanks again, Mr. Christopher Lockhead. Appreciate you taking time for that, Christopher. Uh, thanks again for listening. I appreciate you listening in your car, maybe while you work, while you walk, wherever you are. Until next time, here's to telling stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. Thank you.